else personally. And I want to do something different than that. I want to remove that from our thinking. I want to move in a collective way, that we're, we're going to hear this together. You know, over the years, there's been polls and studies done regarding the nature of the spiritual climate in our culture. And Ibsen Reed did a study uh, about 10 years ago, and they said that there are three times as many believers as there are regular attenders. In other words, people say, I believe in Christ, but they're not a part of any sort of a local church. And so about 17% you know, attend a weekly service in Canada versus 36% in the United States. And, and so they were saying, well, why, why is there such a difference? And one of them uh, is just, you know, as Canadians, we, we deal with a tremendous sense of cynicism. I don't know if you know that. That's what makes Canadians such great comics. You know, we're very cynical. But it's also a, it also affects us in a negative way when it comes to trust issues. We have a hard time trusting. And we see that. So we have a trust issue with institutions. We don't trust leaders. And, you know, certainly there's reasons for that. There's been failures. And so obviously when you have that, you have a breach of trust and people are struggling with that. Also in Canada, there are, there are a lot fewer uh, smaller evangelical churches. Interesting. In the United States, there's churches everywhere. We're in Canada. There's far fewer. Now, this is according to Richard Askin, who is a professor at Queen's University. So the church, in a way, is perceived as just another institution in our culture. And because Canadians are anti-institution, you know, people are just saying, thank you very much. I, you know, I'm, I'm religious but I don't go to church. I don't believe in the church. How many have ever heard expressions like that? I'm spiritual, but I, I have no interest in the church. You've heard those expressions. And I know I'm speaking to the choir today, but I'm going to explain why the church is so fundamentally essential to our spiritual well-being. You know, because the question I think begs to be asked is, how relevant and important is the church? Does attending have any sort of real value in our lives? And I want to just bring a text of Scripture that we normally don't think of as a text dealing with the church. It's actually, we use it in relationship to marriage. And I, I added this this morning, so I, it's not in my pro presenter. But in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives. That, that's, it's a command, right? It's an imperative. And it's telling us that we need to love someone we're committed to. Now, I always find that fascinating. You know, you get married, and then you have to be told to love that person. But that just shows us that a lot of times what we think is love isn't really love until we really get to know the person for who they really are. Does that make sense? In other words, it's easy to love a stranger. It gets more difficult as the more I know a person and the more I see who they really are. Now I have a chance to exercise love because love is a commitment and love means I learn to forgive and we're going to talk about all the neat things that happens when we learn to express what love is. But as we read that text in Ephesians, we usually stop there. We, we think it's about marriage. Actually, Ephesians 5 is about the church. And marriage is used as an illustration of the church. Marriage is the closest thing we have of the relationship God wants us to understand in regards to himself and to us, his people. And he's not dealing with us as individuals. See, in, in North America, we have a hard time with it because we think individually. 
You know, if we're in an Asian culture, they don't even think this way. It's no problem for them. They think of themselves in a collective sense. And so it's easier for them to grasp the biblical understanding. It says here, husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself for the church. So Christ is seen as expressing love by laying down his life. Isn't that a beautiful expression? Now, I notice one thing. If I'm going to be like Christ, if I'm going to be Christ-like, it means that I'm going to love the things that Christ loved. And what is it that Christ loves? The church. He loves the people of God. And he loves them as they gather together. You know, it's really easy to say, I love people when I don't know them. You know, I love people in theory. But to love people in reality is another ball game, isn't it? And that's what we're talking about. And so Christ gives himself up for the church. The church is not our idea. It's not a bunch of pastors got together and say, oh, you know, we need a job. We're going to have a thing called the church. No, no, no. This is God's idea. God created the church. It's his concept to gather people together. And not only that, he's designed us to live in community. We're not designed to live in isolation. How important is it, and we're going to see today, that we relate to one another, that we care for one another, we love, we pray for, we forgive, we forbear, all these beautiful things God wants us to exercise and practice together. Uh, I think community is far more significant than we realize. And in our culture today, there's, there's a great loneliness, a great, you know, people are, it's too crazy. We have more devices to communicate with, and yet we're, we're communicating less. You go, what? Yeah, we're busy texting, but we're not really communicating. We're not really involved in people's lives. We're, we're busy entertaining ourselves. And we're, we're constantly, we know what, why we're, 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 it's said why we're so lonely. It says that the average person looks at their cell phone every six minutes. It's amazing. I mean, there's a longing for some sort of connectedness. There's a longing for community. And God designed us to be in relationship, to be in community. As a matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews, it warns us, he says, we need to learn how to consider how to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How do you do that? How do you motivate and inspire people to do the right thing? Well, you come in an environment where that is being uh, espoused. As a matter of fact, let's, let's be realistic. Generally speaking, our culture is not advocating Christian values. How many know that's true? So where are we going to hear this stuff? Well, we have to come and hear it in the life of the church. And then he says, not giving up meeting uh, as others have or in the habit of doing. See, some people, he was, even in that day, there were people dropping out. And we could talk about, you know, one of the signs of being a true saint of God is persevering. You know, perseverance is a very important commodity in our lives, that we actually continue on the journey in our Christian faith, in our relationships to people. That is so critical. So the question that, you know, we need to, another question that we could ask is, how, are, how is the church, Canadian church, collectively, to respond to this growing trend of marginalizing the church as an institution? How do you respond to that? So original Bibby, years ago, he was a sociologist out of the University of Lethbridge, wrote a book called Fragmented Gods. How many have read that book? Anybody read that book? That's what I thought. There was nobody in the first service. 
I'm the only one in both services that have read that book. But let me give you a few excerpts. Maybe because I have an interest in the church, I'd read all this stuff. Because it's called The Poverty and Potential of Religion in Canada, right? It's a, it's a study. He says, as Canada approaches the dawn of the, the 21st century, he said, there's little difference between the look of culture and the look of religion. He's using religion as a key, a, a, the word to speak of the church as a whole. He's saying, basically, the church... The people that live in the church act and live like the people in the culture. There's very little distinctiveness. He's making this comment. That's 30 years ago. I I think it's just as true today as it's ever been. He says the comfortable pew has been replaced by the cultural pew. Now, that's a take on another book that was written earlier called The Comfortable Pew. And and basically people's non-participation. But this is, he's basically saying we are conforming to the culture. And he said, for some time now, a highly specialized, consumer-oriented society has been remolding the gods. That's the way he describes religion. Canadians are drawing very selectively on religion, and the dominant religious groups are responding with highly specialized items, isolated beliefs, practices, programs, and professional services, notably weddings and funerals. He said, no, but the problem with all of this is that religion, instead of standing over against culture, in other words, What you need to understand, the scriptures and God are really standing away from culture, speaking to culture. But he said, what's happening is we've been so enmeshed with culture that we're no longer distinct from and we've just been swallowed up by. That's what he's explaining. So it now has become a neatly packaged consumer item taking its place among other commodities that can be bought or bypassed according to one's consumptive whims. In other words, what he's saying is people are picking and choosing what they want to believe and how they want to live. They just take what they want. And if there's something that makes somebody uncomfortable, they go, I I don't believe that. I mean, if the church is going to say that, I don't believe that. You know, it's like we're in charge of what we're going to decide is good for us. We're making those decisions. And Bibby is challenging us not to do that. He's basically saying, historically, Judeo-Christian religion has claimed to be much more than individuals and culture. It has asserted that there's a God who's back of life, who, in other words, who's behind all of life, and who, as the German theologian and, and preacher Helmut Tillich says, brought history into being. In other words, God's the one that created this world. God's the one that created humanity. God's the one that's created history, and he's the one that's overseeing it, and there's going to be an end to it. That there's a culmination of it. God has a a destination and a process and he's bringing us to the end. And there's a certain thing we're moving towards. And that God is outside of what we're doing. Wow. And then he says this God is more than just a mere image of individuals and culture. Indeed it speaks to all of personal and social life. Pronouncing and when necessary denouncing. And what he means by that is simply that you know, God is the one that's defining what is righteous and what is unrighteous. It is God who determines what is healthy and what is unhealthy, what is holy and what is unholy. God's the one that's determining these things. You and I can say, oh, I think this is okay or that's okay. God goes, it doesn't really matter what you guys think. I know what's better for you. I designed you as human beings. I know exactly why you were designed, what the purpose was, how glorious you are when you fulfill what I've designed you to become. I've designed you in my image to become like me. Wow. 
That is an amazing thing. And any time that you and I, you know, sin against that image, what happens is we feel broken and shattered and and, and unhealthy and unholy ourselves. But when you and I are reconciled to God and we're walking with God, something begins to happen in our life. There's joy and there's peace. You know, it's a powerful thing. I would even say we have good mental health. See? We're, we're really, we're bummed out today. We're, we're all frustrated, upset today. And as a culture, we're going, we're so unhealthy. And, but we're so far from God. That's part of the problem. And we don't even realize it. It says, consumers tell religion what type of religion they like. Culture accordingly tells religion how to update and upgrade its contents and forms. And he's just basically saying, you know, that we're experiencing God on our terms. We're basically wanting God on our terms. And God goes, it doesn't work that way. You and I have to conform and go on his terms. And see, one of the problems is we're so concerned about being irrelevant to culture, the reality is we've become irrelevant by so embracing the culture. Now you've got to think about Noah for a minute. How relevant was Noah? Here's a guy who's building a boat, and it hasn't even rained. And he's telling these people, there's a flood a-coming. And they're looking like, this guy has lost it. But I'm going to point out to you, you know, for a hundred years, Noah seemed quite irrelevant until the day it started raining. And the more it rained, the more relevant Noah became. How many know that? And everybody else was in trouble. And that's the point we need to understand. We need to get in step with God, not try to make God in step with us. You see, remember Joshua approaches this angel of the Lord, and he goes, are you for us or against us? What was the answer? Neither. No. I am the angel of the Lord of hosts, he says, and where you're standing is holy. He was seeing Jesus. Where you're standing is holy. Hey, where else did we pick up that story? Moses at the burning bush. Where you're standing is holy. Take your shoes off. You're in the presence of Almighty God. You and I cannot come to God on our terms. We must come to God on His terms. And the Scriptures teach that very, very carefully. But, you know, what I'm trying to get across today is our culture doesn't need us to be in step with our culture. What our culture needs is for us to experience the power of God's presence in our midst. We need to have the same encounter that the disciples had on the day of Pentecost when they were in the upper room. Think about it. There were 120 of them in an upper room. The doors are bolted. They're all afraid of the Jews, right? That's what it says. They're in there, but they're praying. That's a good thing to be doing. When you're uncertain, always pray. They were praying, and it says, and they were in one accord, and then on the feast day of Pentecost, which is the 50th day after Passover, the Holy Spirit came in answer to God's promise. It says, the book of Joel tells us that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Talk about gender equality. Come on now. There's gender equality in the church. That's exactly right. God does not discriminate by gender. His spirit comes out. Everybody gets it. And I love the book of uh, of Acts chapter 2 because when I'm reading it, it says, and they were all in one accord 
and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't like, oh, 20 of them got it and the other 100 going, what about us? You know, and I think sometimes in the church, that's kind of how we think, you know, well, it's happening to them, but what about me? And what I've been praying for this morning, and I had men, and I've had women join me in prayer today, we were praying that you and I would experience what the early disciples experienced, that we would have the Holy Spirit come upon us, and we would all get this spiritual empowerment in our lives. That's what we need. Think about that. So they've repented. They're in waiting on God. The Spirit of God comes on them. Isn't it interesting what happens once the Holy Spirit comes? Somehow somebody unlocked the door. Because the next thing I know, they're outside and they're speaking in tongues. You talk about totally, you know, spooky and freaky and absolutely irrelevant. Or so it seemed. But the Bible says, while they were doing that, Jews who had been dispersed in all of these nations, there were like 17 nations listed, could hear these guys speaking in their own language the wonderful works of God, and they made a quick assumption. They have to be drunk. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how people immediately criticize what God is doing? First thing, out of their mouth. These guys have to be drunk. Because they saw that their behavior was being altered. Something's, they're different. This is not, you have to be crazy to be doing what you're doing right now. You know, like, really, you're outside the room, you're, you're, you're speaking in tongues, people are hearing this, and Peter gets up, he goes, hey, no, this is not what's happening. This is not what you guys think. This is nine o'clock in the morning. No self-righteous Jew is going to be caught drinking at nine o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk. He says, no, this is what God promised in the book of Joel. And then he quotes that passage that I earlier quoted to you. And he said, God wants to do this for you. And then he goes on and explains about Jesus and him being crucified. And the Bible says they were cut to the heart. Do you know what the biggest problem in our culture is today? The heart. The heart is the big issue. People have hard hearts. That's why we have relationship problems. We're hard-hearted. You know, Jesus said, why, why does a person get a divorce? Because of your hardness of your heart. We all have a hard issue, folks. That's the number one problem in our culture. We, we think we have all kinds of problems. I'm just eliminating them all down to one, one. This is it, the heart. And you know what happens? When the Spirit of God comes, He can penetrate the hardest heart and open it up. And people are convicted, and they said to Peter, What do we need to do? And Peter said, you need to change your mind. You need to repent. And then you need to turn to God and be baptized. And that day, 3,000 Jewish people came to faith in Jesus Christ. That was the birthday of the church. How many think that's pretty good? You know, here's a congregation of 120 people praying. And within 24 hours, there's now 3,120 people. That's beautiful. And you know what? It doesn't stop on that day. They just keep growing. And this is where I want us to turn in our Bibles. We're moving down in the book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 42 to 47. I want you to notice there are three characteristics of a spirit-empowered church. And the first one is that they become godly. They're godly people. Isn't that beautiful? What does it mean to be godly? It means to be like God. 
How many here say, I have problems from day to day, probably every day, being like God? I got my hand up. Maybe you guys have no problems with this. But to be like God in every moment of every day is, I would say, quite difficult. Anybody agree with that? Yeah, to be like God. I mean, we have moments we're like God, but there's a lot of other moments we're not quite like God. Anybody say that's true, Pastor? Is that true? Sure, it's true. We all have those moments. We're not like God. But these people now are filled with the Spirit. They become like God. It says here that they devoted themselves, in verse 42, to certain things. Now that word devoted is interesting. I love it. You know, Vine, who is a a Greek scholar, and he wrote an expository dictionary, he says this about the word devoted. To be strong towards, to endure in, to persevere in, to be continuously steadfast with a person or a thing. That's what it means to be devoted. I would say that our culture today is not very devoted. As a culture. Well, we're not devoted. That's not something that, that's a strength in our lives. I wouldn't write down, if I was a historian writing about our generation, I would not characterize this generation as they were highly devoted people. No, that's not the, we're, we're devoted to nothing. We just do our thing, right? You know, so what were they devoted to? Well, first of all, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the Word of God, the New Testament. F.F. Bruce says the 3,000 were then formed into a distinct community. The apostle, apostolic fellowship constituted on the basis of an apostolic teaching. The apostolic teaching became authoritative. In other words, this is the foundation, the rule. You know, this is what God wants you to know. This is God's viewpoint. This is God's worldview. You can have other worldviews, but this is God's worldview. And it it became authoritative, and the apostles were communicating it, and eventually it took shape, and we know it today as the New Testament Scriptures. Now, you say, why, why is the Bible so important? Well, let me tell you something. It's the way God thinks. And He doesn't think like us. God says, my ways are higher than your ways. He says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts. How many know we are not even in the same league as God? We're not even on the same page. So how do we know what God is like? Well, he tells us what he's like through his word. And God's ways are not our ways. Isn't that true? We go, I have an idea how to handle this problem. And you know, a lot of our ideas, they're well-meaning and sincere. We think we're going to solve the problem. Do you know what I've discovered? A lot of good people, I'm going to call them good, they're sincere And they do things to help people, and they make things worse. How many have ever tried to help God out, and you think you're doing a good thing, and later on you found out, I just made it far worse? Yeah, that happens. Because you and I think, this is what I'm going to do to help this person, and actually, that's not helping them at all. Actually, sometimes it's just enabling them. It's actually making things worse. Come on, that's true. That happens that way. Now, The Word of God is so powerful. It literally begins to... You know, if we're going to change behavior, you first have to change how you see life. You've got to look through a different lens. One of our reasons is we don't change is because we're, we're looking at life through the same lens all the time. But the moment I put the Bible on, 
and I start looking through that lens, I start seeing things differently. And that's why Joshua is being told by God, this is what you need to do to be successful in life. How many here would like to be successful in life? I got my hand up. How many here would like to prosper in life? I still got my hand up. You know, he's telling us here, what's the key? He said, do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it and then you will be prosperous and successful. So in other words, I'm thinking about it, I understand it, then I do it. It's not just, I think about it, understand it, oh, I forget about it. There's got to be an application. If I don't put it into practice, it's not going to do me any good. And a lot of times we fake ourselves out because we think we, because we know something, we think we're doing it. But that's not always true. We just know it in our minds. But until we put it into practice, you have never really experienced it. There's a big difference between I could sit here and describe food to you all day long. I could make you, you know, want to eat it. Eventually, you could, you know, I could describe it in so many different ways and tap into your past experiences. But eventually, you'd never know what that food is like until you walked up and had a bite. You haven't experienced it yet. You just think you know what it's like, but you've got to taste it for yourself. You've got to experience it. That's what he's talking about. We have to do the Word of God. And we could go on and talk about, you know, Psalm 1 picks up on the same thing. He just basically says, here's a blessed life. You're meditating on God's word day and night. He says, you're going to be planted like a tree by the streams of water. You're going to flourish. You're going to be fruitful. Wow, you're going to prosper. I love all of that. But you know what? Today, you know, the word of God is under fire. Do you realize, and this is the latest thing now in the church, we're moving away from preaching. Now we have interviews. Yeah, churches have interviews. Pastor comes up, he doesn't preach anymore, he just interviews people. Isn't that, doesn't that, that's like the Tonight Show, you know? And, I, you know, and, and you know, the devil's so smart. We want to be so relevant to the culture. I'm going, you know, I've studied revival. You, you may not know this, I wrote a dissertation on revival, a doctoral dissertation on revival. And one of the things that I learned is in every great revival, there's a return to biblical preaching. Biblical preaching is so important. It's, it's so necessary that we need to hear God speak into our lives. And how many of you have experienced it here? Like you're listening and the Spirit of God is taking these words and God is speaking into your heart. And it's just like God's reading your mail. You know, it's like, wow, I'm being undressed by God. I'm being reminded. I'm being comforted. I'm being challenged. I'm being motivated. I'm being inspired. That's the, what God has chosen, the foolishness of preaching. So it's not like, oh, this is a job for me. No, it's the means that God has chosen. And when we move away from God's directed means, we end up choosing, you know, well, this is a lot nicer, it's more comfortable, we don't offend anybody, it's just their opinion, right? Rather than having somebody, you know, like Billy Graham comes along, he doesn't make any apologies. He just gets up, preaches, he just says, the Bible says, right? Well, in other words, he's like, this is what God is saying. You guys can fight it, argue it. How many have ever wrestled with God? You didn't like what you heard, but you went home and started wrestling. And then when you got done, you lost. You know? It's the way it works with God. I never win with Him. Then, the, then they were devoted to fellowship. Here's the idea of partnership. It means participation. It's this Greek word koinonia. It's caring and sharing. And how many have noticed in the Bible there's all these one another's? You know? Let me give you an example. Galatians 6.1 says, We're to restore one another. So somebody's messing up, 
If we're really practicing the Christian community, I should be walking up to a brother. You know, if you keep reading the text, it says, with humility. Remember, I could be in their place. So I always think about it. When I'm going to correct somebody, what would it be like to be on the other side getting the correction? How would I want someone to talk to me? I'd want them to be understanding, gracious, you know, but still say the truth in a nice way, right? In a loving way, say, hey, that's not healthy for you. And you know it's not healthy, and it's going to destroy you, and I care about you. You know, it says, bear one another's burdens. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it great when somebody opens their, you open their heart, and somebody comes alongside, and they really listen, and they care about you? How many think that's powerful? That's community. Bearing one another's burden. Forbearing with one another. You know what that means? Sometimes we read our Bibles, we don't even know what the words mean. This means putting up with each other. How many know when you're committed to people, you've got to put up with things? That's getting real quiet now. This, <laughs> this is called meddling, right? No, you, you're putting up with each other. You know, it's so easy to be in church. I'm all offended. Somebody didn't say hi to me or the pastor walked by me. You know, maybe we get offended about all kinds of stuff, right? Hey, we have to put up with each other. You know, in your families, you know, you know what's so sad in our culture today? We don't tolerate anything. We just walk out. There's no commitment. You don't really love a person until you have to put up with things. That's when you're exercising love. You know, I'm not enjoying this, but I love that person. But this, what they're doing now is driving me nuts. Come on, let's all be honest. You've been driven nuts by people you love, and they love you. And some of you have been driving other people crazy. Come on. Right? Well, we get the practice. Forbearing one another. Be kind to one another. I mean, who needs to be kind to somebody that's... It's easy to be kind to somebody that's kind. Try being kind to somebody that's not so kind. That's a little harder. You know, forgiving one another. You know, we had a miracle. Somebody walked up to me in the first service. They said, Pastor, pray with me. We had such a great prayer time. And this person said, you know, God, heal me. The moment I forgave, I said, yeah, that's the way it works. You know, a lot of us probably would experience more healing in our life if we could let go of some of the hurts in our hearts. If we could just say, you know what, I've decided not to, I'm going to forgive this person. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, a lot of times people hurt you. How many here have been hurt by somebody? Every hand should be up. Come on now, if you're human, if you're breathing, <laughs> somebody's hurt you. You get to practice forgiveness, you know, submitting to one another. You know, hey, listen, do you always have to have your way? If you do, you're going to have relationship problems. Yeah, you're in trouble. Admonishing one another. You know, love each other, comfort one another, encourage one another. And we do these things by getting involved in relationships to people. So we can't just live in little islands. You know, in in a church our size, we have to be involved in different things and different ministries. And we get into smaller units. You know what I really have enjoyed? Leading Alpha. And I'll tell you why. I sit around a table of eight. And then I get to talk to people. And people are sharing their life. And isn't that what it's all about? We need to be in smaller units. So if you're not in a smaller unit yet, you need to find how to get into a smaller unit. Some of you can say, hey, I can hang out with some people and invite some other people over. And don't just pick everybody that's like-minded. You know, you're not going to grow. All the people that think the same way and you're always hanging out, we just love each other, we always get along, you're not growing. You've got to have a few people that are kind of driving you crazy. That's when you start growing spiritually. That's the way it works. You know, then they were faithful to the breaking of bread. 
You know, this is speaking of the Lord's table. It's not speaking about how often you do it. It's just speaking that when you do it, you're focusing in on what Christ did for you. And it's a focus on the cross. And do you realize that the cross is offensive? How many know the cross is offensive? It says it's offensive. It is offensive. You know, and listen to what Paul says. You know what the power of the cross is? If you're having a struggles with temptation, you need to go to the cross. Listen to what Paul writes. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You want to die to the world? You need to merge to the cross. You need to come and say, Lord, I'm coming to the cross. I need to focus in on the cross. I need to meditate on the cross. I need to consider what you accomplished on the cross. It's powerful. You'll die. You'll die on the cross. You know, we're dead with Christ. How many know we're dead with Christ? We died with Christ. If you've been baptized in water, you made a confession. I am, I am dead with Christ. And I'm risen in newness of life. Powerful. Listen, one of the hymns I really like, I like some hymns. And some of them have great lyrics. And listen to this one by Isaac Watts. He says, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You know why we're not really surrendered? Because we haven't meditated on the cross. When you consider what Jesus Christ did for you and for me, you know what? It's a slap in the face when you and I go, you know what, God? I'm going to serve you on my terms. That doesn't even exist. As a matter of fact, I wonder how many people aren't going to make heaven because they thought, you know what? I'm a Christian in name only, but I never really surrendered my life to Christ. It's they that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is he Lord? Well, when you start thinking about the cross, you'll start thinking differently. And then they were faithful to prayer. Wow. I cannot read the book of Acts and not see prayer in it. How many notice that? It's prayer everywhere. These people are always praying. Chapter 1, they're praying. Holy Spirit comes. Chapter 3, I love the story. Peter and John are heading to the temple. To do what? To pray. But on the way to the temple to pray, there's a guy there who's been lame since birth. He's in this... 38 years old. 38 years. He's only been carried to the temple. Here's the thing you need to know. Jesus walked by this guy. How do you know? Because he was at the temple. Jesus had been at the temple. You know, we get this idea that Jesus is healing everybody. That's, you know, no, there's a timing issue. God wanted to do something in this guy's life, but here's the timing. Peter and John are walking along, and this guy's rattling his little tin cup. Alms, alms, alms. I mean, he's not going to make it unless somebody shows generosity. And Peter comes along, and he says, well, we don't have any money, he says, but what we have we'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. He gives the, reaches down with his hand. He lifts the man up. The man has never stood on his feet in his entire life. How many know when you're learning how to walk, it doesn't look pretty? You ever seen a little baby starting to learn how to walk? It's so cute, you know, like, woo. You know, and when they're going to take their first step, you're always wondering how many steps are they going to take before they fall down. Isn't that the truth? You know, your parents behind there trying to catch them, right? One, two, boom, down they go. You know, here's a guy that when Peter raised his hand and lifted him up, the Bible says he started walking. 
He had never learned how to walk. He had just observed it. He started walking. That's supernatural, by the way. He started walking. And not only did he start walking, he got so excited, he started leaping. He was a leaper. He wasn't just a walker. He was a leaper. He was leaping. How many know that everybody in the temple who had walked by this guy all of these times see the guy who's never walked in his life walking and leaping? How many know that gets people's attention? That got a crowd in a big time hurry. Peter goes, don't look at me. Well, didn't you just reach down and not my holiness, not my power. He said, this man was healed because of Jesus Christ and he preaches the gospel. And you think, oh, this is so amazing. Isn't this, how many think, this is great. He gets thrown in jail. He gets thrown in jail. He gets persecuted. And how does Peter and John handle the persecution? Oh God, I'm quitting the ministry. This is way too difficult. I'm out, I'm checking out. No, they have this attitude. Oh, we've been counted worthy to suffer in Jesus' name. They go to the prayer meeting where the other disciples are and they say, let's pray to God. And what do they say, sovereign Lord? You know what? We're just believing that you're gonna keep doing these amazing miracles. Would you keep it up? Would you keep bringing on the supernatural? Because you know what? You're getting people's attention. Do you know what the problem in Canada is today? We think we're going to, we're so smart in the church, we're going to come up with a, some sort of a major program or idea that's somehow going to convince that Jesus is real. It ain't going to work, folks. What we need is the supernatural power of the presence of the living God. And when that starts happening and miracles start flowing, people will start getting it. So we have to become a supernatural church. We need to be a spirit-empowered people. And when that happens, people are going to pay attention. People are going to get saved. Yeah. Look what it says. Everyone was filled with awe. I want to be in a church where I'm going, wow. Yvonne, wow. Hey. You know, we're praying for people. Oh, that person got healed of cancer. Wow. You know? I would love it for the people in the community to be sending people to our church going, you know what, we can't do anything for you. But I've heard that there are people over there, things are happening for them. That would be good. See, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Let me go to the second characteristic here. They were a generous church. Verse 44, all the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and good. They gave to everyone as he had need. Now, we know that the Jerusalem church was going to be destroyed. Because the city of Jerusalem had been prophesied by the Lord himself was going to be destroyed. So many scholars believe that's why they had everything in common. They already knew it was going to last. Okay? Not every church in every city did this. The point was, when you're in a revived state, your heart is open. And one of the expressions of an open-hearted person is they're generous. They're concerned about other people. They're concerned about the least, the lost. They're concerned about the poor. They're concerned about orphans. As a matter of fact, James says it this way in James chapter 1. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by this world. Do you know in North America there's a major moral pollution going on? You know, we're all, we've all gone green now. We're all concerned about pollution. What about moral pollution? I don't hear anything about that. Well, I'm a pastor. I'm going to talk about it. 
You've got to keep yourself from being morally polluted. But let me move to the first part. Orphans and widows. In that society, they were uncared for. They were in destitute state. Do you know what I'm so proud about? Our church family. You know why I'm proud? Because when we brought needs to you over the years, you've risen up and said, we're going to do something about it. I love that. You know, we're generous. You know, we gave $42,000 to help these Yazidi girls be set free from slavery. You know, when we heard about the plight of the poor in Manila, we gave $27,000. But people weren't just giving of themselves. We've had young people rise up and say, you know what, I want to be a missionary. We've sent three families from our church into missions right now. And if you'll notice on the sideboard where that big map is in the foyer there, now that TV is actually playing all of the ministries we're supporting. And I want you to know it's exciting. A few weeks ago we had Dr. Thomas here. It was Mission Sunday. We had a missionary that was here. It wasn't, he's not part of our church. He was here, and when he went home, he told one of our elders, I wept, because most churches have no vision for missions anymore. And he said, I was overwhelmed by the heart of the people in this church for missions. Good on you. That tells me something. The Spirit of God is doing a work in our midst. As a matter of fact, you know, what's, you know what I notice? I actually take signs of revival. Here's a number of them. One, when people start giving. You know what? Last month, we had the fourth largest month of giving in our entire church's history. That's amazing. Yeah. So you know that message I preached on giving? Some people took it to heart and began to start giving. And that's good because you know what? It's going to help you. That's why I gave it. It's not because of me. But I love it when people become generous towards other people. Right now, our church is supporting 82 orphans in India. That's great. Thank you. It's beautiful. I could say more about this. I have a whole bunch of scriptures. Jesus talks about when you do these to the least of these, my brothers, you've done it for me. Visit the sick. You know, feed the poor. As a matter of fact, in James, he says, if a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food and you say to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but do nothing about his physical need, what good is that? He said, in the same way, faith by itself is, that is not accompanied by action is actually dead. You know, I love the story of a little boy who dropped a bag of grocery, the eggs broke, you know, and he was crying, and some people gathered around and said how sorry they were. One man reached down, gave the little boy $2 and said... This is how he said, I'm, I am concerned enough. I have $2 worth of concern. In other words, don't just tell people you feel bad. Do something about it. And that's the point. We need to learn how to do that. But let me move to the final characteristic of a spirit-empowered church. Not only are they a godly people or a generous people, but they're a growing people. Growing in their relationship to God. Growing in their understanding towards who God is. Understanding the Word of God. It says here, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere heart, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. How many get a sense the church was growing? Who was saving people? God was. But you know what happens when people are excited about their faith in God? It excites other people. Do you know enthusiasm is contagious? How many know that's true? You know, you know if, if, we, if we come and say, well, I'm a Christian, is it ever a drudgery? And go, really? And I want to be one of those drudge? People? Of course not. 
you know, but I'm going to just say to you, that's not been my experience. I've been a Christian a long time now, and I can honestly say this after all of these years that the Christian life is the most exciting life, that God has exciting things in store for our lives, and we just have to open our hearts towards it. You know, I'm convinced that when we're walking supernaturally, the church will grow spiritually and numerically. It'll just happen. And you know, I'm seeing it right now. God's spirit is working in our church. In the last two or three months, I'm going, there's, there's, a, there's a higher spiritual tenor. You can sense it. I'm going to go, know what I'm talking about. You can sense God is doing something. If you, don't, if you can't sense that, let me talk to you later. I'll check and make sure there's you know pulse or something. God is working, folks. God is working. Now, when you have people who are loving, caring, generous, enthusiastic, excited, and are full of the Holy Ghost, what do you think is going to happen? Community is going to be impacted. Community is going to be impacted. You know, if I'm transformed, I'm a transformer. You know, all these movies, the Transformers, right? Everybody, these kids love that, you know. Something gets transformed. Hey, there's something about that idea of being transformed. All of us want to be something other than what we are. Good news is, with God's Spirit inside of us, we can become transformers. We can become transformed and we can become transformers. And God wants to do that in our lives. So, you know, I'm not going to talk anymore. I'm going to have Mark come back up because, you know what? I made a decision this morning that we're going to engage God. I made a decision this morning that we're going to cry out to God. So I'm going to have a stand and we're going to do something that we have not done. At least I have never led us into this. So this is going to be a totally different experience for some of you. This is going to be outside. Some of you are going to go, Pastor, this is outside my comfort zone. Okay? And that's okay. How many want to grow? All, all the people want to grow. Okay? If you want to grow, you have to move outside your comfort zone. I'm not going to make you do anything stupid. Here's what I'm going to give you to do, though. On the day of Pentecost... They were all in one accord, okay? They were all in agreement. And what were they doing? They were praying. And they were crying out to God. And as they were crying out to God, the Holy Spirit came. It was like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And it says, and these cloven tongues of fire, just like that, came over top each one of them. Now, that only happened on that one day that they could see that manifestation. But I believe this morning that the Spirit of God wants to manifest Himself in you this morning, in your life, and in us collectively. How many go, I'm in for this. I'm in for this. I want to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. If that's your heart cry, say, Lord, I, you know what? I, I'm at a stage in my life where I'm going, it's so hard to be good, I need the Spirit of God to be better. Anybody relate to what I'm talking about? It's so hard to be good. And if you think you're a good person, just wait to get the right set of circumstances go. I didn't realize that ugly was inside of me. Anybody had that experience? That can happen so fast. You know, I hate to tell us all this. I hate to pop our bubble. But we're far more corrupt than we actually realize. Why don't we just be honest about it? We are corrupt. Sin has corrupted us. What we need is the Spirit of God to transform us. 
And you're just saying, you know what? I'm a candidate for this. I'm a candidate to be transformed in order for God to make me a transformer. I'm, I got my hands up. I'm, I want us to lift our hands. If that's your cry, we're going to lift our hands to heaven. I'm going to ask you to do something that we normally don't do. I want all of us that have a cry towards God's heart to lift our voices together. If I did this in India, it'd be no problem. They could go for 30 minutes. Believe me, I can't keep up with those guys. But in our culture, this is not our norm. And I want us to cry out to God that the Holy Spirit would come and impact our souls. And I believe today that miracles of healing and miracles of the spiritual gifts are going to flow as we cry out to God. There's going to be a manifestation of God's Spirit in our midst. And how do I know that? Because when we did this in the first service, God's Spirit began to manifest in our midst. Because we, were, we asked. If you ask, you'll receive. That's how simple prayer is. You ask and God says, okay, I'll do it. Let's cry out to Him this morning. So Lord, we do cry out to you this morning. We, Lord, are so needy. We need the Holy Spirit. We need your presence. We need your empowerment. Lord, we need your life to flow into our lives. We need your spirit to bring transformation into our hearts. Lord, we live in a city that has been deemed now as the most dangerous city in our nation. And Lord, there's something wrong. We need you. We need you to change us. We need to become supernatural in our lives, oh God. We need to see the power of your spirit moving supernaturally in our lives and through our lives. Lord, fill us, I pray. Fill us, I pray. Lord, look across this auditorium. You see our hearts. You see our hands. You see our desires. See, you hear our longing, Father. You see our great need. Lord, we cry out to you. Lord, we're not smart enough. Lord, we can't change people's lives. We can't even change our own. We need your spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Just invade our lives today. Just move amongst us right now. And now, Lord, we receive you. Now we're receiving you. We were thanking you. Let's just begin to thank him. Lord, thank you for hearing our cry. Lord, I'm receiving what you're downloading right now. I'm receiving what you're putting inside of me right now. I'm receiving it. I'm receiving the gifts. I'm receiving your power. I'm receiving strength. I'm receiving forgiveness. I'm receiving wholeness. I'm receiving your power in life. I'm receiving grace right now. I'm receiving healing. I'm receiving deliverance from addictions. I'm receiving all that I need today, Lord. You are downloading inside of my soul, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's just thank him. Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some of you right now, God has dropped a word of prophecy right inside of you right now. God is speaking to you right now. I want you just to step out in boldness. You've never done this before. You don't know what the whole thing is. You just got a word from God. Just start speaking it right now. Just speak it to the congregation. Exercise that gift God's put into you right now. Just start speaking it out.
We're waiting. Don't be afraid. No one's here to criticize you. These are your brothers and sisters. You have a message from God. You need to speak it right now. It's a word of encouragement. To step out and speak it. Maybe it's a word of wisdom. God's giving you a word right now. A word of knowledge. Listen to me. It's going to be based on your personality. It's just who you are. Just You can say it very gently. Just a thought. You know, you may not have the completed thought. That's how it starts. Just a thought. Just speak it out. God will give you more. It's called faith, folks. That's how it works. Say it again, Grace. Amen. The safest place is in the will of God. What a good word. Thank you, Grace, for being so kind and bold to share that with the rest of us. See, God wants to release things. Go ahead. Amen. Love God with all of your heart, soul, your body, everything in you. Love Him. It's a word of exhortation. See? God will, thank you, Josh. God will help you, though. God will help you. God will help you. God will help you. God will help you with your addictions. Amen. That's good. You need to show love. Thank you, dear. Bless you. Okay. That's good. You know what now, folks? It's not just oral gifts. God has gifted all of us in different ways. God, some of you, God gave the gift of healing to. You don't even know it yet. When somebody talks to you about being sick, just offer to pray for them. God's going to answer that prayer. They're going to be healed. You didn't even know God deposited that particular gift in your life. We need to believe that God wants to use us supernaturally. You hear what I'm saying? So I'm going to close now with a word of prayer and I'm going to dismiss us to walk supernaturally. Not just naturally. That's not going to change anything, right? We need to walk supernaturally. What does that mean, Pastor? Sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Just say, you might make a mistake, you might go to somebody and you might be off track. Don't get, a, don't get discouraged. Just say, you know what? 
I just felt impressed to pray for you. Can I pray for you? Yeah, pray for them. You may be right on, you may not be. But you know what? If you keep doing that, you're going to start learning how to minister to people. We need to learn. God's going to use you in a very supernatural way this week. How many say, I want to be open to God using me supernaturally this week? Is that you? Yeah, God's going to use you. God will use you. If that's your desire, God said, I'll give you the desire of your heart. If that's your desire, God will use you. Lord, I pray as we leave this place today, the day of your church's birthday, the day that your spirit came and filled the disciples and transformed them from fearful followers to bold, committed leaders. I pray, Lord, that you will help us, Lord, to walk supernaturally, to walk in love, to walk in wisdom, to walk in grace, to walk in compassion, to walk in divine understanding. Lord, help us this week, Lord, have a truly transformational impact on our community through our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave.